Hi, Janina. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I am ready for some history of sexy. I'm always ready for history that is also sexy. And, and I've realised recently that when I do the hi, Janina, I do my hands in a weird way, so I look like I'm doing jazz hands. <laughs> Okay. So you can imagine me doing like 1920s jazz hands whenever <laughs> I say that. Now I feel like we should be recording some video. <laughs> no one needs to see me like in my pajamas. It's a weird <laughs> It's a weird thing the concept I think of videoing audio recording sessions. I know that some podcasts that's one of the things you get on the Patreon or whatever. And I'm always a bit like but why? It's like because every third episode one of them does a funny dance. And they're like, oh, no one can see this. So I guess we'll put everything mm. that we record in video. I'm going to be honest. I have never done a funny dance. No. Um, while recording History is Sexy, the podcast where we answer people's questions and show them how it's sexy. I think you can only do it if you've got like one of those omnidirectional mics. <laughs> I've yeah. Got a, I've got to talk into mine. I don't have the luxury yeah. of dancing. Also, yeah, I'm not I'm not as funny dance kind of a person, really. Or literally, all you're gonna see if I we recorded this is me with massive headphones on, without any makeup, looking like a woman who's just come home from work. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like most people could see that if they turned on their own webcam. <laughs> yeah. So just do that. <laughs> and you'll just, know. And then and imagine my face, and like... you'll know broadly. You're yeah. in the room. It'd be like being in the room. Yeah. And you don't have to see, like, my deeply irritating fiddling with pens, which I do perpetually. Me Nobody needs to see too. that. It's really bad. Every so often I, is, I pick up a noisy one and then I don't notice that I'm fiddling with it. I have literally just put down a noisy one. I've put it over with my noisy mouse because mm-hmm. I was fiddling with a noisy one, but I know that Oliver will text me. <laughs> Either this evening or tomorrow and say, your pen is very loud. <laughs> so I, I was good and I thought ahead and I put, I put my noisy mouse away and I've got a quieter pen. <laughs> so that's the care and attention that I put into this podcast. That's brilliant. What, who are we and what do we do on this podcast though? We probably should talk about that. Uh, so you're Janina Matthewson, celebrated writer and podcaster, and you are great. Thanks. We should do it this way around more often. And you are yeah. Dr. Emma Southern, historian supreme and queen of everything ancient Roman and Yay. wonderful babe. <laughs> so and together, we're both powerfully sexy and make history sexy. <laughs> yeah, by answering uh, your questions that you cannot be bothered Wikipediaing yourself. Yeah, and this is like bang on that, basically, the question that we've got today. I mean, yeah, this one is, has kind of dropped us in it. <laughs> It has. So this is going to be a double episode because, and I know this this wasn't really a surprise, but it maybe was a, oh gosh, that's quite a lot surprise, which is that the week this week, we we're answering a question from Tommy Herbert on Twitter, who was just at Tommy Herbert, who asked, can you please sort me out with an hour long dynasty by dynasty summary with jokes about Chinese history? And the answer to that is no, because this is going to take a minimum of like an hour and a half. Yeah, this uh, is like basically <laughs> sure. You've just asked us, please tell me all of Chinese history. And Chinese history yeah. is really long. 
As it turns out, of all global civilizations, we know by far the most about Chinese history because they started writing stuff down very, very early on things which survive. Mm -hmm. And they were very keen on writing down a lot of stuff, which is fantastic but also means that the amount that we know about Chinese history and how far back our knowledge of Chinese history goes is really quite immense. Yeah. And we have kind of cut it down slightly because... (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Technically, we could go back, if we wanted to be very vague about some sections, to 2100 BC with the Xia dynasty but they did not write they did not have writing really so we've decided to not and start at 1600 bce with the first dynasty that has a written history and the shang dynasty and then there are kind of 10 major dynasties of which three of those are divided into sub dynasties (laughs) there's a song so you can remember them which i'm going to make janina sing in a minute um so we're going to do i think five today and then we're going to stop when we get to what's called the period of disunity or the six dynasties period in 220 ce that's now and then pick up again next week and and do up to 1912 yeah so we're still doing a solid like nearly 2000 years of history yeah i mean yeah it's a long, it's a long, long it is. history. More than 2,000 years, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And the way we decided to divide it up was to give, to split the dynasties and kind of alternate. So we're going to start with Janina and then me and then Janina and then me, rather than both of us research all the dynasties, which would have taken a while. Yeah. And thankfully, uh, yeah. Hopefully this goes without saying, this is going to be a very superficial look at a very complex well, This is unbelievably superlicious. Uh, this is beyond superficial. I yep. worked out that in order to get this into like two hours, we've got like 12 minutes per dynasty. Yeah. But this is your kind of beginner's guide, extremely beginner's guide mm-hmm. to... Connor is currently and has been for a very long time listening to a podcast about the romance of the three kingdoms, mm-hmm. which is during, I think, the period of the of disunity so we're gonna miss and that out on that 250 episodes long Whew. yeah we're also gonna not talk about mulan because she mulan happened in the period of disunity yeah so, so we're gonna kind of skip it but watch uh, mulan, on the basis there's no dynasty one of my favorite disney films turns out i have watched mulan by the way connor says we watched it just don't really remember <laughs> it and we must have watched that this year <laughs> so good Anyway, Janina, I'm going to make you sing the song, okay. which I got from the College Board AP World History List Serve, and is the easy way to remember the major Chinese dynasties in chronological order. Cool. I'm really sorry about all of this. And I immediately apologise for all pronunciation, and once Janina's done this, I'm going to apologise for something else as well. <laughs> yeah, we apologise for not being experts in this topic, basically. <laughs> Okay, this is the dynasty song, or dynasty song, depending on how you okay. pronounce it. Shang Jiao Qin Han, Shang Jiao Qin Han, Xu Tang Song, Xu Tang Song, Yan Wing King Qing Republic, Yan Wing Qing Republic, Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong. That's beautiful. <laughs> I'm very, very sorry. She made me. 
so it was, I, it. it's wonderful it's been a very useful way of remembering the uh, remembering the order in which i was writing these down when i was making this document so yeah. um, <laughs> um it's been good tool. yeah before we start i have to do a correction to our previous episode which a couple of people have pointed out to me which is that I said that Philip II was the wife, was the husband of Queen Anne, and he absolutely was not. <laughs> not even slightly. Yeah. Completely different one. So ignore everything that I said there. And if you've listened to that episode already, then just erase that from your mind. Yeah. Like just um, eternal sunshine, sunshine it. Yeah. Like, you know, when they're in in a court and they say you're not allowed like oh, strike yeah. that from the record yes. strike it from your mind if you haven't listened to that and you're like for some reason listening to these in reverse order then when you get to me saying that completely ignore everything that i say about philip the second because it's incorrect just use your little 15 <laughs> seconds forward button yeah or just like just chew just tune out yeah uh so that is my correction sorry for <laughs> absolutely no idea what the fuck i was talking about Sometimes we get things wrong, but we're still, it's it's still sexy, so, you know. It's still sexy, and I do try to correct it. Also, Oliver's just pointed out that we were talking about Queen Mary, not Queen Anne. Oh, fuck's sake, yes, Queen Mary. God, <laughs> see, look how great I am at this. Yeah, so just completely ignore everything I said, yeah. basically. Yeah, shall we start with some Chinese history, Janina? Yeah, let's do some Chinese history. You're going to start with the Shang, who are the first... Yes, the first... The first with a written history. Yeah, so they came after the Zia Ujia dynasty, which was basically... And this is, I think, still... I don't know how when this becomes factual history and when it becomes stories that were told that we're not sure how factual they are because it is, like, as writing was beginning, it's not all written down very mm-hmm. firmly. And most of the writing that we have from the Shang dynasty is from the latter years of it because clearly the writing they were using developed throughout that period yeah which you know obviously was 550 years long things develop and change there's a weird thing with chinese history i think and i just felt this when i was writing it which is that you start to think of 500 year periods as quite short yeah and you're like oh yeah and then a century happened as if that is a thing that is just very short and speedy, <laughs> not a full century. And nothing's going to um, change within that time. Yeah. Because you are talking about such, like 500 years for a dynasty, coming from this from a Roman perspective anyway, 500 years is a very, very long time. Yeah. A really long time. And the origin of the Shang clan is definitely mythological. And um, The story okay. is that... Around the, the first Shang ancestor, a guy called Ji, he was said to have been born to Jiandi, the second wife of Emperor Ku, who swallowed an egg dropped by a black bird and then had a miraculous birth, giving birth to Ji. And he okay. ended up growing up and providing service during the Great Flood, which the stories go lasted for two generations and caused massive displacement and famine in places. And in gratitude, he was granted the fiefdom of Shang, which is where the clan takes its name from. Are we saying that Xi lived for two generations? No, he was around at that time. Okay, just during. And I don't right, actually okay. think... This is... It said two generations. I don't really know what that means because, you know, does that mean two generations live and die? Or does it mean two generations are born? Because those are very mm. different time spans. Yeah, usually if I was counting generations, I would say generation is 25 to 30 years. Right, sure. So somewhere between 50 and 60 years. Yeah. 
but that's from a like demographic perspective. I don't know what Chinese historians are saying in like 1050 BC, <laughs> yeah. whether they're using it in the same manner. <laughs> it's hard to know. <laughs> it's, um, it's difficult to know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the origin story of the, the Shang clan. And the first king of the Shang dynasty was a guy called Ching Tang who lived 13 generations after Z. So his 13th okay. grandson or 12th grand, grandson, mm-hmm. something like that. Although I don't know how directly he was tracing his ancestry and I do not know if Z ever actually existed. But that's, <laughs> that's the story behind that. That's the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ching Tang led a an uprising at the end of the Zia dynasty because it's the, the last leader, G, was basically Marie Antoinette, you know, super extravagant, okay, yep. very dictatorial, mm-hmm. not very popular. It's the yep, first yep. time a... A revolt was led by a nobleman, so it is called the First Noble Revolution. Yeah. And it l- led to the establishment of Ching Tang's dynasty, which was the Shang dynasty. Okay. And we know about it because of written sources, which are primarily bones that were used yes. for divination. Because what they would do is, and I, some, I, the sources that I read differed on whether the, the engravings happened before or after the divination ceremonies they were used for. Essentially, they would use bones and turtle shells. They would apply massive amounts of heat to heat to them, and then they would look at the pattern that they cracked in and use it to answer questions and predict the future and that sort of thing. And then there would be mm-hmm. characters carved on them describing what they were doing and what they were asking and what they were hoping to find out from these bones. And they went into detail. So there's a lot of information about how farming was done and and that sort of thing from this era, which is really interesting considering that it is. these were just the bones they threw bones. to predict the future. But Imagine how boring life must be if you have the time to sit around and describe farming on a bone. Like Yeah, yeah. The sheer amount of time that must take. Here is how I plant my wheat and should I keep planting my wheat in this precise way for yeah. good harvests? Well, I assume, do you, are people like... I don't know if you'll know the answer, but are they like putting like the questions on the bone and then the cracks answer the question that they've written? Or is it like they've got these bones lying around, may as well use them for something. Now that we've used them for the divination, we've they've cracked once, we can't do it again. I do not know who was, <laughs> where this originated. Um, okay. It, it was, at least at some point, increasingly about asking questions and getting responses. But yeah. that was not necessarily what it always was. Because, again, this is 500-year-old tradition by yeah, the end yeah, of it. Yeah. So it's changed within that time. It also became increasingly consolidated within the royal family. So by the end, the king was the sole interpreter of bones. If yeah. It was like the king slash shaman, essentially, of the country, which was tied into the key sort of religion of the period, which was based around the Shang family ancestors and this cult-like worship of their ancestors who were all sort of ranked under a deity called Di or Dai, I don't know, I'm not sure, mm-hmm. um, who probably was not meant to be one of their ancestors, which we, like all historians, suspect that he wasn't because sometimes he is spoken of as having arranged events against the Shang dynasty, 
So okay. like he he allowed an invasion to happen. So he probably wasn't an ancestor because an ancestor wouldn't do that. Would protect you, yeah. Yeah, they made sacrifices to their ancestors that ranged from millet ale, ranged from millet ale all the way up to human people. Yep, 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 yep. Um, a lot of human sacrifice. There was and quite a lot sacrifice. of human sacrifice during that time. Yeah, yeah. That's the period of like voluntary going to the grave with people as well, isn't it? Like yeah, where people, like, where if you were a powerful person, you would die in like 50 people who were under you would also come into the grave with you. And just be buried there. Yeah. yeah. Not great, really. No. It was a bit of a fractious period, apparently. It seems to have been a lot of skirmishes and wars, and this wasn't a united China at this point, so there are warring no. tribes still. The Shang capital moved at least five times. There are five different sites that have been unearthed from mm. this period. And they had, during this time, huge advancements of military tech. Mm-hmm. They, That's a theme we're going to come back yeah, to a lot. They got some chariots <laughs> for the first time, and composite yes. bows and bronze-tipped spears. So battle things are, are ramping up. Yeah. yeah. We're going to see that happen. That is a theme that we're going to come back <laughs> to repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because changing warfare is a real thing that happens throughout Chinese history. I suspect that it is because that is what, as with almost all historians the world over, that's the thing they like to write about the most. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a it is a thing. There's a big uh, some big changes coming up in a later in the sixth yeah. century. Just you wait. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but yeah, that's Shang in a nutshell. That's Shang in a nutshell. Yeah. And they were overthrown by the Zhao. Yes, they were. Who were originally a tribute-playing state within the kingdom of the Shang. And they rose up, basically, and overthrew by a guy called Wen, mm-hmm. um, who was the earliest Zhao king, kind of built alliances with surrounding states mm-hmm. within the kind of... the area that the Shang controlled and then his son kind of led the big rebellion and defeated the Shang and destroyed their capital city and built a new capital which was called Hao and is at what is now Xi'an in the Wei River Valley and so this is split into two periods there is 1046 BCE to 771 Mm -hmm. so about 300 years of the western Zhao which is like the prosperous period, and then 771 to 256, which is a very long period of time, (laughs) another 500 years of the Eastern Zhao, which is then separated into a (laughs) two-sub-sub-period. The first called the Spring and Autumn period, um, and then the second called the Warring States period. Mm -hmm. And this is a period where we have quite a lot of writing, and from where a lot of ideas that became very central to concepts of Chinese imperial rule were invented or were developed. So the first one, which was the kind of justification for overthrowing the Shang King and for explaining why, even though they were considerably inferior in number and power, the Zhao were able to overthrow mm-hmm. uh, the Shang, which is a thing called Qianming, or Qianming, my Chinese is not great, which roughly translates to the mandate of heaven. Mm-hmm. 
And it is basically the ethical idea that the ruler is the most just and that the heavens could intervene to support the overthrow of an unjust ruler by a just ruler. It's amazing how often we come to this conclusion in our disparate communities when just like someone does a violence and wins it and is just like, it was God, therefore I am supposed to be king. And it's a kind of a way of saying I might not be the strongest but I am the most blessed. So mm-hmm. that is my, that's my claim to the throne, basically. Yeah. And hard to argue with. It is tough to argue with. They also developed kind of this notion of the the king being a kind of intermediary between the people in the heavens. Mm-hmm. And they then developed and really developed ancestor cults. Mm-hmm. So the king was the only person who sacrificed to the heavens and everybody else sacrificed to their ancestors and they specifically sacrificed and or gave bells. So there's tons of bells and the more powerful and rich you were, the more bells you gave to your ancestors. Mm-hmm. So you find these huge caches of bells which have people's like biographies written on them basically like, hey, granddad, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> Um, (laughs) everything's going pretty great got given this and so they used a kind of ethical and religious justification for it which is quite interesting and they were also developed a decentralized form of government where the king was kind of ethically in the center but didn't have kind of military strength in the center Mm -hmm. but everything was kind of delegated out to lords of different territories and who were then supposed to be tied to the king through marriage and blood obligation which works really well for a short period of time when everybody knows each other Mm -hmm. and then over a 400 year period kind of dissipates a little bit Mm -hmm. And it gets a bit sad. But during this period in the ninth century, the Book of Changes, which we now know if you have read Man in High Castle as I Ching Mm -hmm. was written. I also, you also know that if uh, you have watched You've Got Mail. Yep, (laughs) exactly. All those important cultural (laughs) documents. So this is when that was written. So which is in... They throw sticks in in some ways and then you read little kind of hexameters that are nonsense and then you interpret them. Mm-hmm. And there also uh, the Book of Songs was begun, which is this the, the earliest books of songs, which are songs which were sung in the court. Would you like to hear a song that was sung in the court? Yes, please. You'll enjoy it. Okay, I don't know what the tune was and I can't say anything for the translation, but it goes, clever men build cities, clever women topple them. Beautiful these clever women be, but they are owls and kites. Women have long tongues that lead to ruin. Disorder does not come from heaven. It is produced by women. I love a bit of misogyny in my history. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which feels like... It might be pointed at somebody from the context in the book that I found it in. I could not find that it was specifically about somebody, but it feels like a pointed kind of eyeballing a specific woman. It really does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that is basically all going on. There, it, everything is pretty decentralized because what you've got is states or small regions which are ruled by a lord in a kind of feudal system mm. or feudalish system. And then... Basically, everybody just has to trust that the 
lords will do what the king says. Yeah. If he needs them to, like if he needs them to raise an army for him or if he needs them to do something or to give him taxes or whatever. And as those kind of these ties of obligation become weaker, um, what happens is obviously they stop. Yeah. And in 771, the king of the Zhao was killed in an, um, a coup with an uh, alliance of Zhao lords and a people called the Rong, who were from the north and who are seen by at this time by the kind of central Chinese as being barbarians. Mm-hmm. They are later absorbed into China, but at this time they're seen as being outsiders. Mm-hmm. The, and what happened was the court panicked and moved the whole capital. Sure. Why not? Um, so it was in Shangxi province, which is kind of where the wrong are. So they completely panicked and moved all the way to Hanen province and started a new capital, which made them look a bit weak and sad. Sure. Because it's a bit weak and sad to just, just run away. Just run away with your entire city. Yeah. So that is then the end of the Western Zhao and the beginning of the Eastern Zhao, which Starts with the spring and autumn period. Could not find out why that was called the spring and autumn period, but... Because the weather was just a bit moderate for those years. Those years <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Maybe the weather was just lovely all yeah, the time. Yeah, all you need is a light jacket. For like 300 years. It was yeah. April the 21st every day. It was. 300 <laughs> years of April the 21st. So maybe. But basically during... So it's 771 to 476, the... Kings become kind of puppets or like figureheads. So Mm -hmm. they are the intermediary between heaven and earth and they're still the only people who are allowed to sacrifice to the heavens and they have this kind of religious role and they're still technically the king, but they are controlled militarily by the various powerful states. Mm -hmm. So the Jun, um, the Zheng and the Qi are seen as the kind of main ones um, and they're called like, so they would be a lord protector who was really in charge, basically. And so, but because there were such big states, like three or four states kind of battling, Mm -hmm. it was not chaos, really. It would just, like, it wasn't out-and-out warfare, necessarily. There were just kind of power struggles. Yeah. And what you have, this is where we start to see our big drastic change that I told you was kind of coming up, (laughs) um, is that previously up until this period so around about the 500s ish bce what you you have warfare which is effectively ceremonial it is men on like aristocrats on chariots poking each other with expensive bronze spears (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the death toll is not that high because a lot of it is theater Mm. much in the way that like this is very similar, like really similar to what's called the hoplite revolution in ancient Greece, mm-hmm. where you there is a move away from the kind of warfare that you see in the Iliad, which is 12 aristocrats poking at each other and one person dies. And then everybody cries about it for a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, my, that's my analysis of the Iliad. Yeah, I think maybe a few other people died. <laughs> But very, not that many. No. And um, it's all aristocrats that are there. Yeah. Because no, I, somebody needs to work the land. But this, over during this period, because these power struggles are so ongoing, you start to see a shift towards light infantry fighting and the raising of peasants to start to fight in armies mm. and therefore much higher death tolls. 
and the beginning of kind of what when you imagine ancient battle, the kind of thing that you actually imagine, which is yeah. a bunch of men running at each other. Mm-hmm. And like screaming and then yeah, being stabbed exactly. real badly. And there is a great general during that period called Double Ears. Great name. I know, right? He's called that because he had double ears. <laughs> no one knows what that means. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. <laughs> And he has a good story because he's like the son of a not a particularly liked concubine of a Jin Lord Protector. Mm-hmm. And there's like all kind of court interfighting between the wives and concubines over the children when his father dies. And he's briefly exiled and has to go and live with the barbarians. But then then he comes back and takes the gin throne and then overthrows everybody else. And he's called Double Ears. Um, and his two things were that he had double ears and his ribs were all grown together, which everyone sees as a sign of great strength, but it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Does he, Was he just like, did he just have such a muscly torso that you couldn't see his ribs? Maybe. So he just looked solid. I feel maybe, or maybe it is a kind of a suggestion that he was... Like had shield as a as ribs, Maybe. unclear. Don't know. Um, the double ears in the one of the books I read, which is the Valerie Hansen one, The Open Empire, s- suggested that he maybe had like a flap of skin behind his earlobes. Oh, and made yeah. it look like he had double earlobes, mm. a thing I've never seen on a person, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah. But the most important thing by far that happens in the spring and autumn period is that Confucius was born. Aww. And thus changed almost everything eventually. And the art of war was also written during this period. Man, that's a lot. It's a lot of writing going on. Yeah, it's a real kind of period of, although there is, like, it's not particularly stable at the top, mm. it is almost everywhere else. So there is this real period of kind of philosophical and, you know, well, philosophical outpourings really there's like all kinds of philosophical schools were founded during this time Taoism, which is also really really important in chinese history mm-hmm. and confucianism were both developed during this period and then clashed as we will see slightly later where confucianism is very activist mm-hmm. and confucius he was born in 551 bce and he wanted to restore the traditions of the first Zhao kings, Wen and Wu, mm-hmm. and lead through moral virtue and and these ideas of kind of five virtues and filial piety. Um, so the five virtues of Confucius were proper rituals, human kindness, trustworthiness, correct standards of rightness, a and moral one. wisdom. <laughs> bit vague, bit vague. Yeah. Um, and then is based very strongly on the idea of hierarchical obedience. Mm-hmm. So the son is loyal to the father and is obedient, and then the father is obedient to his a superior, mm-hmm. and then his superior is obedient to his superior to who is then superior like and then up the family the is king, uh, yeah up into the yeah. king and then up to the heavens mm-hmm. and so everybody is just a, like the hierarchy works its way down yeah and there's all kinds of like philosophical debate and conversation for a good couple of hundred years in much the same way that kind of ancient athens and plato and socrates and diogenes and all of that but instead of being focused on like what is the world and maths is very focused on what is a moral life and Mm -hmm. how does one act so quite a good period really yeah but it all comes down a little bit in 475 when 
basically basically what you've got is a hundred little states mm-hmm. of which three are the main ones but over that 400 year period the three main ones kind of split and absorb and split and absorb and come together and absorb and split until you have seven what's called the seven central states and then there's too many big states and everything starts to kind of fall apart a little bit yeah so this is 475 to 221 and you have the yan the chi the wei the zhao the han the qin and the chu and they are in constant war with each other (laughs) they attempt to destroy the kin-based court but during this period, the idea of the territorial state rather than the city-state emerges. So the idea that all of the territory that I control is mine and mine alone, like it isn't an alliance of people, it's mine. Yeah. And then in 256 BCE, in an embarrassing, it was basically a child, the last Shao King was deposed and sent home and then he was replaced by a completely different dynasty because, as it turned out, the Qin won. Yeah. And it kind of ends in, like, I don't know, ends with a whimper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But they had a good run at it. Yeah. um, And they developed some very good ideas. It's a big, beefy dynasty, and they got a lot done. They did get a lot done, and there were a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. And now we have to Uh, have a little weeny one. (laughs) This is a teeny, teeny one. A teeny, teeny, teeny empire. The Chin Empire. Like a little like a little one you could put in your pocket. Yeah. Which lasts from 221 BCE to 206 BCE. So it's 15 years long. In the grand sweep of... It's amazing that this gets remembered as a major dynasty because, like, there are... Like, the period that I discovered is 475 to 221. That's 200 years. And that... Yeah. Like, isn't even... That just gets called a period. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's 15-year bits in there that just got absorbed into half a sentence. But he gets a whole dynasty, so that's very good. It's very good. And it's significant, I think, for what it does, what it achieves in that time. And, like, that, the legacy of the Qin dynasty is pretty impressive. So it starts with a guy called Qin Shi Huang, who had become king of the Qin when he was 13 and he ended up becoming the first emperor of China at 38 when the Qin conquered the warring states and unified the whole country for the first time in 221 BCE. I like... Which is a lot. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's they, like a they huge amount of territory. Yeah, it's massive. They basically managed to win by ignoring the previous ideals of war, which were, (laughs) if you fight, you should have some manners. Yeah. So previously, for example, there was, um, during during the Warring States period, there was a force within, I think, the Chu state, who, there was a general who refused to attack the enemy forces while they were crossing a river, saying the sage does not crush the feeble nor give the order for attack until the enemy have formed their ranks. So there was very polite. It's very polite. There's a very polite attitude to fighting. Um, You didn't hit hit people while they were down. But the chin shat on all that. They hit everyone while they were down. (laughs) They didn't at all shy away from taking advantage of anything they could, which made their army one of the more efficient around. They were also incredibly modern and they <laughs> were such mobile. Such a polite way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very they were very, <laughs> very mobile over um, 
the different terrains. They, essentially, they were the best army. They were the best ones. They yeah. were. They had more modern weapons. They were more ruthless and more. They could move faster. Fast. Mm-hmm. Um, they also had a really strategic position they were centered around a natural stronghold formed by mountains and the land was particularly fertile so they were really well fed basically and an army marches on its stomach it does i mean i march on my stomach and i'm not anywhere near an army (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure your land is very fertile (laughs) so this doesn't can the chin dynasty does not continue the zhao idea of divine Right, or I can't remember the term that you use. Oh, the um, mandate of heaven. Mandate of heaven. Because there are all of these warring tribes, the seven warring tribes, and every one of those had someone calling themselves the king of that yeah. of that group. So when the wars were over, the king of the Chen king, Chen Shi Huang, I have to keep scrolling up to check names because I didn't temper it throughout <laughs> the whole thing like a, like a smart person. He yep. declared himself Shi Huang Di, which is a term he invented and basically means the first emperor. Okay. Um, Th- these are like the first imperial dynasty. Like you have kings before that. Yeah. And then these guys are like, no, I'm not a king. I'm an emperor motherfucker. Yeah. Which I did have somewhere what that like Chinese word for emperor literally translates to, but I've lost it because of course I have. Um <laughs> But yeah, but basically the idea is that he's unified above kings. Everyone was there with these seven kings, and he is the top dog, so emperor. Mm-hmm. After he took control as emperor, he pushed even further south um, to gain new territory for his new empire. He would use prisoners and exiles to colonize any new territory he gained. Oh. And it was That's always sensible. Yeah, he had a few raids to put down that sort of thing. There were some the the odd peasant revolt but the thing that was really took his concentration for the most part was the idea of immortality Uh, he survived three separate assassination attempts and became obsessed with trying to live forever oh god he went mad great a mad emperor yeah but not mad to any great effect because he died while on a trip to the east (laughs) to try and get his hands on an elixir of immortality, which is... If only he had made it. Beautifully, beautifully (laughs) ironic. It is, Um, it is. His prime minister, a guy called Li Is, and the chief eunuch, Zhao Gao, concealed his death for a while because they wanted to fake a will so that they could select his successor, basically, from... So they didn't want the actual eldest son. They didn't want the actual eldest, Um, yeah. They wanted a weaker one that they could control. And they managed that. They got uh, his son, Chen Shi on the throne. He was a bit shit. He executed loads of people, princes and ministers from all over the place, increased taxes a bunch, arrested anyone who brought him bad news. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously revolts happened all over the shop. People claimed territories and called themselves king of the territory that claimed. Yep. And then there was a schism between the two men behind him, Lisi and Zhao Gao. They had a spat, uh, and Lisi is executed. This gets really messy. So Lisi is executed <laughs> because of the spat yep. with Zhao Gao, who then forces the emperor, Chen Yishi, to commit suicide. And then the new emperor, Zi Ying, Execute executes him for that, which seems oh, fair. That does seem fair. And then Zi Ying 
is was defeated in bat- battle and executed by the Chu leader Zhang Yu. And that's it for the empire. But while it was going, it had a few years where mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of strong under the, uh, the first emperor, Qin Shi Huang, who was really focused on unifying the country, which he did by having standardized th- writing and currency and weight measurements uh, rolled out across the whole country so that people could communicate better and trade was more unified. He built a lot of new roadways and a lot of new canals. And this is something that will come up again later. He made he had a huge impact in what he had built, but he did this by conscripting workers and working them to death, basically. Yeah. Um, he was also brutal against any dissenters. So um was not not a great ruler but accomplished a lot by being pretty bad to his subjects um but he put in place systems that lasted until 1912 like this is i think why it's a dynasty is because the impact yeah. that he had lasted for the right up until the republic also as a side he was buried in a massive 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 mausoleum filled with terracotta warriors the famous terracotta warriors that is where they come from they were within his grave yeah no one knows um, why just a thing he wanted i guess well, why not? Yeah. Why not build 7,000 terracotta warriors yeah. and then bury them in your massive grave and then everybody forgets about them Just until the 70s? buried with a clay army. Why not? Mm. I mean, if I, I'll be honest, if I had the resources, I would probably get buried with something ludicrous too. I mean, yeah, why not? And it's a step up from being buried with your army. Yes, yes. It is much, much better than that. So... You know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that makes him pretty famous. Although I feel like everybody knows the Terracotta Warriors, but if you twisted someone's arm in the street, they wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you whose Terracotta Army they were. No, I don't think I even knew that they were in a mausoleum. I, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't I think knew I that, knew. but I couldn't have told you whose. Yeah, well, now you can. But I think that's probably because I assume that anything that has been found in more than two is either a coin hoard yeah, or, or a, a grave. grave. Good. Yeah. yeah, because, and as we know, there's only three things that exist in archaeology, coin hoards, grave goods, and ritual objects. <laughs> yeah. I Everything mean, that, else. Those are the only thing that, things that exist in life, obviously. So. Yeah. It's a niche joke for <laughs> all the non-archaeologists out there who will say... <laughs> find archaeologists to be very funny indeed (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh, so that brings us to about 210 206 and the han dynasty begins with the guy who killed zi ying which is zhang yu Mm -hmm. who was kind of a group of insurgents who kind of and all of the things I read about this act as though it was kind of sort of an accident. <laughs> they maybe didn't mean to, but somehow they managed to kill the emperor. Well, it sounds like um, he was going to die badly anyway. He was a bit shit also. Yeah. yeah. This is one of those wording things where it's a bit like, where they're all like, a group of insurgents on a skirmish killed the emperor. And you're like, on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> Do skirmishes kill emperors on purpose? And then... Shortly, there was a bit of chaos, but eventually a guy called Lu Bang or Lu Pang became the first Han emperor called Han Guozhu. And he was the first ever commoner to rise up through the ranks to the Chinese throne. 
he was, began life as a peasant mm-hmm. um, and he kind of came up through the army and then was acclaimed as the emperor, which was a nice, and started the Han dynasty because he was from the Hanzhou area. And this is where the idea of the Han Chinese come from. And his primary goal was to make the emperor, empire, make the Chinese empire nice again. That's a worthy goal. We should it was. make more things nice. So where the previous emperors, the last two, had been real dickheads with the forcing people to work and increasing taxes and executing people all the time, he really reduced that. Kind of cut down, uh, the forced work is called corvée, which is unpaid work, which is owed but excuse me, owed by a peasant to his lord, basically. Mm -hmm. So you get like a certain amount of, you have to do a certain amount of day's work for your lord Mm -hmm. a year and dickheads will make you do lots and lots and lots. And sometimes they work you to death building a canal. Mm -hmm. So he reduced all of that and reduced taxes and stopped executing people randomly. Mm -hmm. And he also established a civil service with an open civil service exam. So that anybody could take the exam and anyone could join the civil service, basically, which didn't democratise necessarily because obviously there's still some barriers, Mm -hmm. but did reduce the reliance on administering an empire purely through the court and people who owe some kind of obligation to the emperor. And that makes everything run much more smoothly (laughs) when it's a job that people do rather than something that everyone is wrestling for individual power, basically. So that was quite good. That makes sense. So this, again, is broken down into two periods because it's quite a long one. Mm -hmm. So we have the Western slash former Han, uh, which is 206 BCE to 9 CE, so 200 years. And during that period, the capital was in Chang'an. Um, and there are 13 emperors for that period. Mm-hmm. And then there is between 9 and 25 CE, there is a random guy called Wang Meng, who rules for a little bit, having overthrown his... Uh, he was a regent and he overthrew his young charge and he claimed to have the new mandate of heaven. He sure. started his new dynasty. Didn't last. <laughs> only lasted about 15 years. Nobody liked him. He was overthrown. And then they put a hand... Back on the throne, so basically. A, like there was a brief interregnum of the Han dynasty. Exactly. And then they popped one on for another 200 years. So mm-hmm. from 25 CE to 220 CE, which is, from my perspective, like a real big chunk of the Roman Empire. <laughs> <laughs> like that is a lot of emperors happen in that time. Mm-hmm. Like about 30. And there are 14 emperors of the later Han or the Eastern Han where the capital was moved to Luoyang, unclear why, but only three of those 14 emperors were over the age of 18 when they came to the throne. Quite a few of them were infants. Obviously, it goes very, very well indeed. Mm. So the first part though, as it always goes, is pretty good. And this is the point during which time Confucianism becomes like the state, the, the not state religion, but state philosophy. Mm-hmm. It is installed by a guy called Emperor Wu Di, who is 156 to 187 BCE. Um, and he basically 
it sorted out all financial problems by imposing state monopolies on salt and iron production. Mm-hmm. So you could only get salt and iron from the state, which are two pretty important things <laughs> you can't survive without. And he raised Confucianism to the state ideology and created a Confucian university where uh, state employees, so civil servants, were trained there. So they were trained in Confucian philosophy. Huh. Prior to that, That's uh, they had nice. most... I feel like we should make out how public servants, we should give them all lessons in you know, philosophy. In philosophy. I feel like you should give them all lessons in philosophy. I mean, they all do PPE, but then they all come out deranged and stupid. So, <laughs> I'm, which I'm sure is not uh, to do with PPE, because I do know many other people who've done it and come out perfectly fine, but I feel like they're not getting the grounding in philosophy that would benefit them. Mm. The Basically, before that, emperors and kind of the overriding philosophy was Taoism, which believes in non-action, basically, like the world will do what it's going to do. And the, the, it's the kind of libertarians, like sure. it's not the government's responsibility to join in. There shouldn't really be a centralised hierarchy. Everything should just be as it is. Sure. And delegating things to other people and, you know, whereas Confucianism is very active and very activist and believes very strongly that there should be central power and a central hierarchy and that the emperor should be responsible for cosmic harmony Mm -hmm. because it all rests on him, basically. And so... It's quite a change. And then he basically trains all of the civil servants, having created a civil service, to work in that manner. So he creates the whole culture of of Confucian government, basically. Mm-hmm. And then only lets in people who are trained in it. And this basically just, allows... I just like this a lot. Just essentially, you have to be trained in what? What was it? Kindness? Yeah. To be in the government. Yeah, that was one of them. And uh, don't forget the vitally important correct standards of, standards of rightness. Correct standards of rightness. I feel like that's the sort of thing that um, can be very personally interpreted <laughs> and could lead you, for example, to force all your, all your staff to put two spaces after every full stop. Yes. I mean, it could go very wrong. That, yeah. But, like, be kind. Great. That's all right. But yeah, so trustworthiness. Basically, that was another one. be trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. trustworthiness in bureaucrats and state employees is particularly strong in Confucianism. That, that's a real idea because so much of it is based on being able to trust one another if there is a hierarchy. Yeah, but and this basically creates over time, obviously, like this idea of it embeds the idea of imperial hierarchy and the imperial system as something which is kind of ideal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these ideas still stick around to this day. It's also this period, like the next guy, whose name was Emperor Wu Ti, um, started sending out people to explore the borders beyond China, kind of going east and west, and the Silk Roads begin to be developed. And we start to get trade between... China and Rome, for example, and they start getting like lots of Roman, well, not lots, but a few Roman sources where they start talking about the Chinese, Mm. which is fun. And the Chinese, where they start talking about Romans and like wankers, (laughs) 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 they do not think very much of them. (laughs) Uh, But basically, they did a survey in about one CE, and then they think that there are about 60 million people, mostly peasants. But everything is going very well. Paper is invented during this period. Mm -hmm. It's handy. Which 
basically the Chinese tradition says that it was invented in 105 CE by a guy called Sai Lun, mm-hmm. which is very specific. But archaeologists have found paper going back to 49 BCE and it absolutely revolutionized everything mm-hmm. like bureaucracy because it's not particularly expensive it yeah. travels it survives mm-hmm. you can don't have to rub stuff out yeah you would think it was the kind of thing that would spread across the world instantaneously but it does not <laughs> <laughs> i wonder why it doesn't get paper doesn't get picked up really in europe until the 12th century um, <laughs> really resistant to it there's a lot of there's a lot of when you look back at European history and Europeans relationship to the rest of the world there's a lot where you're like oh this is brutal and bad and going to these different countries and conquering them and not listening to any of the wisdom that have has been accumulated by the cultures you're conquering that makes us look brutal and bad and we are but then it's also like fucking idiots like (laughs) yeah real dumb just pay attention to what other people are doing and advance your society a little bit we were wanking around with wax tablets for ages, and then eventually we were like, "Ooh, vellum! Let's kill a goat and stretch its skin. That's a brilliant way to write stuff down, and not expensive, time-consuming, useless." It's not like I mean, there's that application of paper, but I saw, and I this is completely I can't back it up. I don't know the sources or anything, but I saw a Tumblr post <laughs> or something talking about how long China had toilet paper for. Oh yeah, and we talked many, about that in a previous oh, episode. Was it us that we talked about it? It wasn't Tumblr Post, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. our own podcast, The Ego. Yeah, we're we're like everyone else is like scratching at their butts with sticks and Yeah. And yet yeah, we could have us, just had, they had some triple paper. ply this whole time. And the Greeks were scraping at their bums with fucking shells, yeah. Idiots. Yeah. Yeah. So they were doing pretty great. Uh the first comprehensive history of China was also written during this period by a guy called Sima. Xian, mm-hmm. the records of the grand historian, mm. which is a good title. But then you basically get a, what becomes a classic kind of strong ruler, weak sons, someone dies, there's three emperors in a row who are 12, regents and a court rise up against them and nobody's paying attention to a 12-year-old emperor. Yeah. And they start getting kind of shifts and people stop really listening to the emperor until eventually Wang Meng says, oh, I've received a new mandate of heaven just in a dream and overthrew and killed his, the guy he's supposed to be looking after. Sure. Pulls a Richard III. Yeah. Then everybody hated him. He was replaced by a Confucian scholar named Guang Wadi, mm-hmm. who decided to reform the system slightly into great estates, so big feudal estates with tenant farmers. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he was one of, as I said, only three of the next 14 emperors who are even verging on adult. And there were uh, 10 in a row who were aged between 100 days and 16 when they became emperor and obviously were not very good at it. So the emperor... Empire decentralizes, landowners in these great feudal estates are like, I have all the money, (laughs) I have all the peasants, I have basically everything, and you are three years old, (laughs) so maybe go fuck yourself. Yeah, that seems Uh, (laughs) fair, I can't fault them. 
stop paying taxes, bureaucracy kind of, everything starts to shrink. Everything goes kind of badly. Eventually, in 184, because things are going badly and people start stealing each other's land, a peasant movement in northern China called the Yellow Turban Movement revolted and was very brutally put down by a guy called Cao Cao. Mm-hmm. who was so delighted by his great victory that he declared himself chancellor of the imperial government oh, sure. and then instantly died. Sure. And then his son, Cao Pi, was like, I don't really want to just be chancellor of the imperial government. I kind of want to be in charge. Sure. And so he forced the child emperor, whose name was Liu Se, to abdicate and ushered in a 300-year period of shit. Sure, good, good one. But before that, one good thing came out of the later Han, which was a woman called Ban Zhao, who was born in 45 CE, died in 116, was the first ever female historian. Oh, wow. She wrote a bunch of books, including completing her brother's great history of the Han Empress. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wrote a book called Lessons for Women, which is a founding document of what is considered to be Confucian feminism, which bears literally no resemblance to and would consider, be considered to be the exact opposite of Western feminism. <laughs> uh-huh. In that it fundamentally is a completely different idea of agency to our idea mm-hmm. of agency. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So it's the t- it has seven chapters. Each one's focused on a kind of different virtue, which the first is humbleness. Second is husband and wife. A husband must govern with dignity and a wife must serve her husband. Mm-hmm. Respect and caution, as defined by the yin-yang duality. Womanly qualifications, which sure. are wifely virtue, wifely speech, wifely appearance and wifely work. Wholehearted devotion. <laughs> Wholehearted devotion to the husband, implicit obedience and harmony between younger in-laws. Sure. So as I say, they would not necessarily be seen in the Western world to be considered to be talking about agency and feminism. No. But, of, um, but then that's also much- part of, and we've talked about this before, even like, like in all, when you look at any history, it doesn't match up partly because... They're not individualistic societies, and we yeah. are now. So it's if you're focused on what your role is to your community rather than what your role is to yourself, then, you know, it probably does yeah. make sense. Yeah, um, and there's a fair whack of writing about the kind of idea, about, you know, whether you can have a gender equality which does not rely on individualism, yeah. which I could get lost in for probably 300 years. Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> That's an interesting discussion. Yeah, but she then became a lady-in-waiting because everyone thought she was so great uh, that she taught Empress Denzu, the wife of Emperor Hei, and became an integral part of the court and was pretty great and everybody still reads her work. So good for her. Yeah. Her entire family were impressive to be honest like um her brothers were like great generals one her twin brother was a great general and her other brother was a great historian and they were pretty yeah like the kind of thing where the dad must have sat back and been like yeah i did all right <laughs> like, <laughs> like all my kids have done pretty great yeah and yeah and then that brings us to the period of disunity which we'll pick up with next time yeah yeah because that has been i think just about bang on an hour Look at that. So that was all right. That was a lot of, like, that was solidly, like, 1,800 years of history that we did. Yeah, in an hour. With, hopefully, jokes. <laughs> hopefully a, so, a non-zero amount of humour. So, yeah, so, Tommy Herbert, technically the answer to your question is, no, we cannot do an hour-long 
dynasty by dynasty summary of Chinese history with jokes. No. But we can do one in about two. Yeah. So you can get um, part two of that in, well, in two weeks. Yeah. So we're going to pick up with the Shui. Is it Shui? I don't, I'm not entirely sure if it's Shui or Si or Sui. Ah. I should look that probably. up. We'll look that up. Yeah. And and then we're going to go all the way to 1912 and the end of imperial history. Yeah. And it's all going to be fun. Oh, I've just remembered the other thing. I'm going to put, so I couldn't remember it. I was walking home from work today and I was trying, trying to remember if I'd ever actually mentioned it. Um, that I put all of the sources that I use in the Kofi thing that we have. Yeah. So I make a little post there and put all of the sources that we have in there. And I'm going to put in this video that I found of a mummy called the Lady of Dai, who was her actual name was uh, Xin Shui mm-hmm. and she died in 163 BCE and she was like a kind of local aristocrat um, but she died and she was buried along with her son and her husband and then they their, the way that they were buried meant that their bodies created like a microclimate which meant that her body didn't deteriorate like really at all oh wow yeah, um, and so when she was found, not only was her tomb completely untouched, but basically they were able to do an autopsy, like, actually on her body and, like, look at what was in her stomach. And, like, she choked on a melon seed, and that's how she died. Oh, my um, God. And she had gallstones, which probably sucked. Um, and she had, like, coronary thrombosis, and they were like, literally able to see... Everything about her, and though you can, I'm gonna put this video up in there because you can see them like her skin, her flesh is like soft. That's insane. And they're poking at it, and it has. There's this like this little documentary about it that I watched that is legitimately amazing. Um, and she's now on display, and her face is kind of melted, but um, mostly it's amazing. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So you can see that she does. She choked to death on a watermelon seed. So if you go to the Kofi page, then you can see all of the books and links and things that we've done for the past yeah. at least ten or twelve episodes. That's Kofi.com slash his pod or yes. um the bit.ly link is just bit.ly slash support sexy history. Yes, and you can also if you want give us three quid to say thanks for all of our jokes. That would be lovely because Based- and also for introducing you to a 51 minute documentary, which you can just kind of skip through so you get to the gross bits, <laughs> which is what I did. Because I <laughs> fucking love an autopsy video. Um, <laughs> they do sound incredible. Me and our friend Sarah have this in common, which is that we just fucking love watching autopsy videos. <laughs> but yeah, but it's amazing. So yeah. that's totally worth it. And you can see all the other stuff. There's a few good links. And you too can sing your own version. I've got this video on now and they're taking the top of her skull off and it's really distracting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you don't have to watch it if you don't want to if you're not like Emma I mean um, it is basically a large part of it is an autopsy on a 2000 year old body sure. like straight up warn you that they, that is what you're going to see but maybe look at some pictures but it's pretty cool yeah anyway where else can people find us Janina uh, if they have a question in the meantime you can find us on Twitter at Sexy History Pod. Yes, and you can find us at aforementioned Kofi, and you can find us on Facebook at Sexy Without the E History Pod, or you can email us at sexyhistorypod at gmail Yeah, and you can find us individually. I am at Nuclear Teeth. I am at J Nine and F. 
And Oliver, who hopefully was not going to text me at any point and tell me that I've been loud with my pen, <laughs> is at Kiwa. And that's it until yeah. we come back next time. We don't have to tell you Join what we're us. talking about next week because it's going to be the same. Yeah, we're going to still be talking about China. And it's going to get more detailed from here on in, I suspect, because this is what happens when you're going through history is that the closer you get to, like, yeah. the later you get generally, except with the fucking Romans, to be fair. <laughs> The more you know about stuff, because the more stuff tends to survive, except again with the Romans, where you know everything up to Domitian and then everything really drops off a cliff. That's a shame. Stupid Romans. God, I love them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Idiot people. Absolute idiots. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, I cannot believe they just use wax fucking tablets. Absolute morons. (laughs) Do they not know that wax melts? I just scrape, like... Just scrape it off and do it again. Like, it's a stupid... Only a slave-owning society would think of something so dumb. <laughs> anyway, that's it for now. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? Leave us reviews, send us money. Yeah. Look at things. That's... I think that's everything. That's everything. Yeah. All right. Bye, Janine. Bye.